American Craftsman Podcast is proud to partner with Montana Brand Tools. The West was built by people with strength and great pride in their workmanship. It was a necessity that early settlers of Montana have a strong will, a resilient character, and great determination to tame the rugged landscape while adapting to its dramatic climate. That spirit, made in the USA pride and craftsmanship, is alive today, both in how Montana Brand Tools are manufactured and how they perform. Montana Brand Power Tool accessories are manufactured utilizing proprietary, state-of-the-art CNC machining equipment and the highest quality materials available. Montana Brand Tools are guaranteed for life to be free of defects in material and workmanship because we build these tools with pride and determination. Montana Brand Tools are manufactured by Rocky Mountain Twist, located in Ronan, Montana. Montana Brand's heritage comes from a long line of innovative power tool accessories. Use coupon code American Craftsman for 10% off your order at MontanaBrandTools.com. All right. We're rolling. Coming at you from high in the Custard Dome, episode 48 of the American <laughs> Craftsman Podcast. You get that reference. <laughs> Score 10 for you. Yeah. 100 out of 10. <laughs> well, here we are again. Yeah. You, you could see we, I remembered to bring, uh, yep. Keith's bottle opener, so it's starring right front and center now. Although we just went out today and bought a month's worth of podcast beer, none of which is in yeah, a bottle. Yeah, in cans, <laughs> of course. Um, but it's there at least. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You can see the cherry on that's nice and dark because the the table is is darkening up, even though it's yeah. down here with no sun. Um, Still got oxygen. Yeah. Um, should we bust out the beer of the week? Yeah, might as well. Gone? Might as well. Yeah, we, so we took a trip today to a, a liquor store in Long Branch called Court Liquors. Oh, you know what? Let me get the B-roll going. Um, and they have a really good selection of beers. So we figured let's, uh, let's go down to Court Liquors. We'll grab, grab a, uh, a handful of beers and we'll be set, you know, for a while. So what do we got? Is this, they say that Rogue? Rogue, yeah. Hazelnut brown nectar. It's ale with a natural hazelnut flavor, and it's dedicated to Chris Studak and home brewers everywhere. Um, Ooh. It's kind of uh, light as far as alcohol by volume, right? 5.6%. Um, yeah. Yeah, but. For uh, like a craft beer. A nutty twist to a traditional European brown ale. Dark brown in color with a hazelnut aroma. A rich, nutty flavor and a smooth, malty finish. Oh, um, Newport, Oregon. I don't know why I thought Rogue was in California. Yeah, I like the way it sounds. Uh, they say this is especially good to be paired with a grilled cheese sandwich, pork chops, and bread pudding. I'm not sure if that's one meal. They're talking like craft uh, <laughs> singles on Wonder Bread? <laughs> Probably not. We're talking about homemade bread, thick sliced. You know, some of that uh, little like sourdough action, Kerry gold butter slathered on before it hits the pan. It does have a hazelnut uh, aroma to it, clearer than I was expecting. I was expecting some, some haziness, some cloudiness. I think this is one of those beers where. One can is probably going to be it. Mm-hmm. Definitely yeasty. Yeah. 
Oh, I got to tell us. Well, cheers. Cheers to you. Cheers to all you out there. I'll give you a little, mm, little B-roll view of the beer in the glass. This glass looks huge from this angle. <laughs> it's nutty. It's good. Yeah. If we'll you be- like beer and you like this glass, you can join us this weekend, Saturday, August 7th at Belford Brewing Company. Yeah, nice tie in there. Belford, New Jersey. <laughs> From 2.30 p.m. to, what are we saying, 6 p.m.? Yeah, I think Something so. like that? I think that's yeah. when they close. Yeah. Um, we're going to try and hang out outside. You know, we don't want uh, to be responsible for anybody's illness uh, here. Yeah. Things are starting to heat up again um, in New Jersey and, and more so in other places. Uh, so we're trying to be responsible, but, um, you know. Yeah. If you're unwell, don't come because right. you're just going to look like a dick. <laughs> <laughs> don't sugarcoat it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, it should be a good time. Um, you know, a bunch of people who are coming will have uh, glasses, like we've been saying, and uh, some other stuff. So I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Yeah, it'd be a good time. It's supposed to be a nice day. I think uh, last I checked, like, 80 and sunny. So, nice, I mean, nice. that's they have a little outside area that's – um, perfect weather for being outside. 81, 81 and cloudy, which that's that actually probably all right. even better. Yeah. Um, yeah. So yeah, hey, should be a good time. We got a Facebook event if you want to. I mean, nobody's really. More people have told me personally that they're coming than have responded to the Facebook thing. But I have it up there with some info on there if you want to take a look. Good, yeah, yeah, it'll be in the in the description. Um. So yeah, hey. I mean, you guys know where that brings us. Tool of the week. Tool of the week. Yeah. Um, well, I'm uh, I'm wearing long pants down here in the chill of the basement, mm-hmm. and I got my my sleeves on, but that's because I'm going to meet John Peters after. Uh, I've been bugging him to go out and check out the beehives, <laughs> and tonight's the night after the podcast. Yep. So he said, wear long pants and everything. And the reason I mention that is I'm gonna blow John Peter's mind with the tool of the week. <laughs> because here it is. The Makita biscuit or sometimes known as plate jointer. That's right. And what uh come on there cell phone. This is the uh, cordless version yeah. which makes it especially nice. Um now we got this for this commercial job we were doing when we were um, joining all these pieces of, uh, what do you call that, that stuff for the trees and the, the, you know, the, the like industry term is TFL, but I mean, I always just refer to it as melamine, but I don't know if melamine is more specific to just like your, uh, your white, you know, right. You know, it had that brown texture that we chose. So Mm -hmm. it looked more like a, you know, an artistic uh, bark. Yeah, what was that called? Rutherf- Rutherford. Some, <laughs> you know, they have these stupid names. Well, we got it specifically for that job, and I have to say I've broken this tool out on basically every job since. Yeah, and we, uh, well, it's funny, you know, you brought up with John why you're going to blow his mind because, um, you know, I had known John for several years. We used to talk on Instagram, and, you know, we're local to, to each other, so we had, you know, a, a a friendship through Instagram. And then when John finally came to the shop, 
I forget how it came up. We were talking about, and we're like, he was asking about a biscuit joint. And we're like, we don't even have a biscuit joint. No. Like, we don't we don't feel the need to even have one. And John was like, what? Like, what do you mean you don't have a biscuit <laughs> joint? Um, <laughs> we, we kind of offended him a little bit at first, I felt. <laughs> Maybe, yeah. Uh, it was just one of those things that, like, you know, we don't have one. We have the domino. We make do, you know. If there's a situation where the domino won't work, it's like, then we just don't use anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, He's like, how could you not have a biscuit joiner? I love the biscuit joiner. Yeah, and I was saying the other day, like, the biscuit joiner is one of those things where, like, for, uh, we're going up that sconce for Tommy G, Manhattan Stained Glass, um, which was, uh, um. What shape would you call that? Uh. Trapezoidal? Yeah, like a trapezoidal prism. Mm-hmm. Um. So the the basically three face frames shaped like trapezoid well two triangles well no three trapezoids and the you know the sides butt into the back edge of the fronts mm-hmm. um like imagine you're building a face frame with a return finished panel on it um don't need a biscuit there it doesn't add anything to the um to the strength or anything and it's really like the alignment is, you know, you don't need it to align it, but with this thing, <laughs> in 30 seconds, I just popped three biscuits in it, and it, you know, w- am I fine without it? Yeah, but we have it now, so it it's quick and easy. Yeah, it's really accurate. It's 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 a typical, you know, tool of its sort, but it, it just kind of does it well. Yeah. Because uh, we've used a few different brands. Yeah, I mean, Lamellos, everything. Um, and to me, the thing, not having that cord in the way, yep. because we do use it with the vacuum port, so it's mm-hmm. it's not that it's totally untethered, but not having that cord in the way makes a big difference, I think, too. Yeah, and the nice thing about this, here, let me see it, is when you sit it on the base, yeah, it stands that. up because there's a little like a kickstand on the back where, mm-hmm. um, you know, at Tom's shop, he had a lamello, not a Zeta or anything, just like the, the, uh, the most basic lamello, you know, you put that thing down and it's like tipped like this because, yeah. you know, they're, they're just, uh, they're not, they're not weighted. Right. So this you can sit. And I like to reference off a flat, flat surface mm-hmm. like that. A lot of times when you're joining, you know, flat pieces to one another, yeah. um, because the fence, you know, it could it could be inaccurate if you're not holding everything perfect. Especially with small parts, it's really nice to be able to reference off of a table. Yeah, your um, bench, stuff like that. So, yeah, I mean, I've been really happy with that. Uh, you know, it's, it's funny because it started off, all right, I'm going to use it because I happen to be working on that part of the job. So I busted it out, and I was a real, not, you know... Not a, a non-believer. Not, not a hater, but close. Yeah. Pretty close. I mean, we were looking at the Zeta P2, which is like the, you know, the $1,500 um, Lamello that mm-hmm. does all the connectors and stuff. Yeah. But decided that the job at hand didn't call for it. Yeah. So it's like 200 some odd dollars versus $1,500. We'll just go with the basic one. Yeah, and we're part of the Makita battery platform. Yeah, yeah. So that, that works its way into our shop. But it, it feels good, and like today, same thing. I said, let me throw a couple of biscuits in here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I was pocket 
screwing the thing together. But the, yeah, the, the countertop. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's it's nice, and I like it. I really like it. Yeah, it's quiet. Yeah. Um, it cuts. I mean, I, we'll see how the uh, the blade holds up. But I mean, we cut probably. I don't know, two hundred and fifty biscuits with it so yeah, far. Yeah. Um, maybe a little bit more, a little bit less, and it's still very sharp. And cutting into those TFL panels, I mean, that stuff is that's yeah, nasty on any type of blade. Yeah, I know, um, the glue. It there. does have big carbide teeth. The uh, the cutter itself. Let me see if. Uh, and the biscuits really seem to fit in there nice, too. I mean. Well, that's because we're using real lamella biscuits. <laughs> well, here, I'll turn it on. It's got that quintessential uh, biscuit joiner wind down. Yeah, so why do they right? all do that? Uh, I don't know what it is about. Basically, these are a grinder yeah. with. You know, a plunge base on them. Because um, I have the Makita grinder, and it's basically identical to this. Yeah, so uh, John Peters, whenever he, he hears this episode, I'm sure he's going to smile a little bit. You might have to bring it over tonight. <laughs> I know John's a Milwaukee guy, but <laughs> but he may, uh, may be swayed. Yeah, so if you're in the market for something like this, mm-hmm. uh, I really like the fact that it's, you know, cordless. Yeah, and I think of, you know, the cordless as uh, on a job site, you might need, you know, it's always nice to have a biscuit joiner on the job. Yeah. Um, especially if you're doing, you know, these weird kind of things like that tree that we built. Um, so, you know, you might be up on top of a scaffold or a ladder. Right. And, you know, joining... Uh, a fascia to a cabinet, something, whatever. And, you know, it'd be good for that. So there you go. There'll be a link down at the, at the bottom of the page, mm-hmm. right? Like usual. Yep. Uh, and uh, check it out. The Makita XPSJ06 uh, or something like that. XJPO3. That was pretty close. You got some memory. Only for the important stuff, like biscuit joiner <laughs> model numbers. When's your anniversary? Quick. <laughs> 10, 10, 1, 16. <laughs> I almost forgot. Um, could have sworn there was something that I thought I was forgetting, and then now I'm forgetting what it is. Well, we, we mentioned the meetup. Yep. I got that on We got there. the beer. We got the tool. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, uh, that brings us up to the questions, yeah, unless there was something else. I don't think so. It might, it might come to you. We got a decent amount of questions this week. You guys were slacking last week, and you made up for it this week. <laughs> we got a full two-pager. The first question. Yeah. I'll read this so that you can answer it. If uh, This is from Nick, Nick Trayer on Instagram. We got a lot of, uh, we got a couple guys who asked a lot of questions this week, which yeah. I like. Um, if you could go, if you could go back in time, what would you say to Tom at Tom's shop? <laughs> Boy, I mean, there's so many instances. You know, if I if I knew how things were going to transpire, um, 
Tom is very non-confrontational, and I'm kind of the opposite when it comes to stuff like that. Where, uh, you know, not I, typically I, though, but you you could be driven to that point right, by Tom, right? Because of yeah. the, you know his demeanor. That's that's a good way to put it. I, I try I try to be um, um, democratic and you know kind and all these things, but with Tom. I didn't. I didn't really let too much, uh, you know, slide by because he had reached his limit. Mm-hmm. I would. I would definitely like to say some things to him when he was telling me to stay home for two weeks. <laughs> you know, that, that two weeks is about up, huh? <laughs> uh, yeah, I think it's I been mean, about I'm, what I'm, thirteen days now. I think he's about ready to call me back anytime now. <laughs> so uh, may, maybe he'll, he'll uh, stop by on Saturday. Maybe. Maybe he's got a job offer. Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, crazier things have happened. Oh, yeah. So one thing about Tom, he overlooks a lot of stuff, you know. That's for sure. You know, so maybe that's that's one of the good things you could say about Tom. Um, man, you know, we said so much. We really aired our grievances on a regular yeah, basis down no there. No punches. Um, but uh Wow, it, 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 you know, I would say that uh, it was really was a blessing that in disguise, because I would easily still be there. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of uh, biting my tongue like everybody does there, mm-hmm. and living with the frustrations of seeing something that could be, you know, a really good gig, just. You know, kind of uh, be a really bad gig. You could just like shave like ten years off your lifespan. Yeah. Um. What would I say to him though? I'm gonna have to agree with you though. You know, I'm 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 a I'm non-confrontational. Um. You know, I, I do a lot of talking. You know, like especially like if we're driving stuff like that. Like, <laughs> but like I'm not gonna confront anybody. You know. Just because it's it's too much hassle, it's not you know it's not worth anything. It's better you always, to, to just vent to yourself and yeah. you know. Um, but you always like let you Tom said, know what was on your mind, right? With Tom, I didn't I didn't pull any punches because you know he would just get you to the point of you know complete and utter frustration, um, where basically you just tell him like it is. Um, so I I don't have anything to say to Tom because I I let it all hang out anyway. Yeah. I would have liked to, if I would have known what was coming, I would have liked to, you know, make him a little uncomfortable, you know, when he was trying to send me home, you know, say like, you sure you're going to call me back? (laughs) This isn't your way of telling me that you want to fire me, is it? (laughs) Just to see if I could get him to say it. Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah. We we pretty much said what we we liked at Tom's, and we don't dwell on that past no. because that was just a stepping stone. Yeah, it, it's it's a it's a joke now, you know, a running gag of one sorts. of one of several. <laughs> um, but you know, as they say, things happen for a reason. Mm-hmm. Uh, we got to work together. We met. Um, and we forged what would be the beginnings of Green Street before it was Green Street, and then it yep. became Green Street. 
We got to meet, you know, Manny and Lou oh, yeah. and all kinds of other we people. We still got good friends through there. Yeah, so, um, you know, as much of a dipshit as Tom is, there was uh, some Pl- green grass yeah, there. Yeah, plenty of positives. Yeah. Plenty of positives that come from it. Um, but that was a good question, Nick. Thank you. <laughs> uh, you want me to read this next one from Matt? Sure. One of our patrons. Matt's Hey Good Hardwoods on Instagram. And he's asking us, what has been the job or project where you learn the most? Well, for me, these uh, these questions are always hard for me. These, like, very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Not definitive, but these, like, really specific about the most mm-hmm. X circumstance. Um, so, you know, this is probably not the one, but the one that sticks out to me, um, not the one in actuality. You know what I mean? This is the mm-hmm. one that's popping into my head. Would be the Chase Lounges for Celaya, where we we tried to steam bend. Um, yes, we learned it, the hard way a lot of stuff. Yeah, there. it was just a lot of hitting our head against the wall trying to figure this out. Um, so yeah, I mean that's the one that sticks out in my head is trying to steam bend the white oak to build these Chase Lounges. Yeah, I like that one. Um, that's true because. We learned a lot, you know, we because we really stepped way out on a limb on that one. And we yeah. were trying things that, you know, many thought could not be done. Mm-hmm. And they were, they were pretty much right. You know, yeah. we, if we had been better equipped with to, you know, with steel jigs and forms and everything. Yeah, some green wood. We might have been able to pull it off. But yeah, yeah, I think we I think now if we had like a little bit of time. We could definitely get everything, you know. Right, we'd weld up the forms and all that stuff. Yeah. Like that guy who was making uh, the parts uh, that when we watched that video, he was steam bending the The, the wagon wheels? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or even like Craig's got that T-welded thing. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Uh, I learned the most. You know, I I learn a lot from, you know, seeing different tools in use. Uh, one of the things I, I watched mostly as you did the shaper work on those those lounge chairs, mm-hmm. uh, I would say anything that had to do with the shaper, I learned, even if I wasn't on it. Yeah. You know, this last thing with the sconce was really my first independent shaper work, and uh, I was yeah. using that little tiny router bit. So that was a great minimal way. clench factor. Yes, that was a great way to enter into it. Yeah, um, but that's the tool, the machine I'm most unfamiliar with. Right. So uh, I would say that was a biggie. Um, I'm trying to think of. Uh, I mean, we learn stuff on every job because we're we. I mean, purposefully, you know, the job we're going to work on after these last two are wrapped up um, that we're working on now, we're going to be. Uh, I mean, I guess what we're doing is pretty is stuff we've done before, but like we're gonna be uh, vacuum bag veneering doors, mm-hmm. which we've yeah. done, and we're buying the you know the, the veneers are pre laid up, so we're kind of we're easing our way into you know laying up veneers ourselves, but um, you know typically we don't build doors that way, but right. this job that's coming up, we said hey. We're going to do it this way. It calls for it. It yeah, could happen I mean, that way. We could just use plywood, but it's, this is going to be better. 
Yeah, and we uh, want to do with the solid wood edging yep. where the you veneer over the top of it. Yes, yeah, so we're taking five ace Baltic birch. We'll put a five ace edging on four sides, um, and then veneer up four doors with sixteenth inch veneer mm-hmm. um, that we're getting laid up by these guys in Indiana. Yeah, Superior veneers um, seem like good guys. They make you know thick. They specialize in thick veneers um, because. You know, that's what we want to use is a six nice sixteenth inch veneer. Yeah. You know, maybe next one we resaw it ourselves or we go with a you know, a, a more traditionally thickness thickness of veneer and, and you know, lay them up. Damn, I, I'm just like my watch is going crazy. Salaya concierge. Oh, yeah. Uh, sorry, guys. Got to, got distracted. Forgot that we're doing a podcast. <laughs> I'm getting texts <laughs> about jobs. Um, I don't even remember what the hell I was saying. Well, we were, you were talking about, um, what, what were we talking about? Job where we learn stuff and uh, the veneering. And next time we might do something a little bit different. Uh, but that's kind of it. We We try and learn something each job as well. Or incorporate something we've seen or have been inspired by. So, Mm -hmm. uh, and just in general, I mean, like the confessionals, we learn stuff. We, we just by putting in the heating elements Mm -hmm. and you know, there's always the mechanical stuff, the lighting, all that. Yeah. Really the job where we learn the most is the next job. That's it. Um, because we're, we're totally ignorant about that right now. Yeah. <laughs> Not totally, but <laughs> there's that element that we haven't experienced yet. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's a good question. Uh, next question comes in from Brian, Great Point Woodworks on Instagram. Building Adirondack chairs, what's your choice of wood for outdoor furniture? Cost matters. Oh, well, if cost matters, I think we'll agree on uh, the easy answer for us now, right? I think we will, but... All right, you say it. Let's say it together. One, two, two three. Sapili. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, Sapili is... Uh, I wouldn't say it's cheap. Yeah, comparatively. It's, yeah, it's cheaper than uh, oak or walnut or... Teak. Oh, yeah, way cheaper than teak. Um, you know... It's a good outdoor wood, mm-hmm. cheaper than ePay. Um, Easier to work than those super hard woods, too. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's dense, but it's not, you know, not super difficult to work with. Um, you know, it takes on nice color outside. Mm-hmm. You know, you can find it for about six bucks a board foot. That's, you know, you can find it for cheaper than that, um, which I think is pretty, pretty cheap. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like maple cheap or cherry cheap, but... No. Um, well, I, maple's gone up a little bit. I wonder, like, out on the West Coast, if they're still... Um, uh, redwood? Yeah, using redwood. Not really. Um, you know, it was like pine, basically, at the turn of the last century. Oh, yeah. And when I lived out in San Francisco, when you would be in these old houses and you'd strip down 20 layers of paint, like, these were... Painted, originally painted. Mm-hmm. It was all redwood. Yeah. 
They would that was paint grade wood for them back yeah. then. Well, those trees are so goddamn big. Uh-huh. Um yeah, I mean there's companies now that what they do is they dismantle redwood water towers and they sell the wood. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And it's exp it's about $30 a board foot. It's wow. Wow. Um, yeah, because I mean, that would be the only other wood that I could think of. Um, cedar. Yeah, that's just not, too soft. Yeah. Um, I mean, white oak is great outside, but it's, I mean, I guess if you use flat sawn, the thing is you really want to use quarter sawn outside. And you can get quarter sawn sapili, um for, like I said, six bucks, six fifty a yeah. board foot. Um, you know, quarter sawn white oak, you're talking... Eight nine bucks right now. Yeah, it's probably it's more hard I mean, to get. Those are wholesale prices. You're buying at retail. You're only buying 20, 30 board feet. You're talking ten dollars plus a board foot. Yeah. When I talk to guys that are paying fifteen dollars a board foot for walnut, eighteen dollars a board. Is it? Yeah, I mean, um, walnut was five dollars and forty cents a board foot not that long ago. I don't know. I mean, it's got to slow down at some point. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah. I was watching a thing on supply and demand last night about elasticity and you know, it's uh it's a very complicated very complicated thing. There's elasticity in supply and demand and and in inelasticity. It's a whole crazy thing. Yeah, everybody's a little bit uh gun shy about how long things are going to last. Mm -hmm. Whether it's shortages or booms, yeah, you know, and every, even when things are booming now, people are because the last time things boomed, it, it dried up really quickly afterwards. Yeah, well, yeah, there wasn't even a boom; it was just there was such a drop off. Yeah, that um, you know they never really recovered, and the prices were super low. Yeah, and now, you know. You can tell me you're going to invest millions of dollars in infrastructure of your company when, right. you know, two weeks from now, the real estate market could crash and there's no demand for your product anymore. You know? Yeah. Um, Everybody's kind of happy to just be, you know, working at capacity mm -hmm. and turning down things rather than trying to fill every order. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of conjecture about, oh, you know, this is all prices are rigged and this and that and that. It just shows how uneducated people are about <laughs> supply chain and, you know, yeah. how these things actually work. <laughs> you know, how fragile the supply chain really is. You know, is. A, a good conspiracy theory is uh, <laughs> it's a lot easier We're to control believe. the population by jacking up the price of plywood. They can't have babies, they don't have houses to live in. There you go. <laughs> I I love this next question. This came in. I'm sitting on the couch this morning about 5.05 a.m. <laughs> you, you read it. Question, boys. Apart from the ugly Adirondack chairs that you have to crawl out of, any aspirations on building or plans to develop your own chairs anytime soon? One you could sit in when doing the podcast. Love all the other comments. Maybe I can suggest the wives do their own podcast. <laughs> Lend them the gear. That's from Colin, one of our patrons, Beaver Badger on Instagram. Colin's building a, a kiln. That's awesome. Yeah, I think he's he's probably uh, just about done now. Oh man, I love that's. I mean, that's question of the year right there. That's pretty good. Yeah, we have 
We have totally thick skin about everything. <laughs> I guess Colin's not making it to meetup. Yeah. <laughs> Colin's referring to our Adirondack chair plans. <laughs> yeah, that no, those those are tried and true. Those things are proven. Yeah. I spent a good bit of time sitting in one. Yeah, yeah. The, we have the prototypes that are probably about 15 years old sitting out mm-hmm. in the weather. It's like that uh, those um, those Benjamin Moore paint sample places where they paint uh, the shingles and then they leave them out in the sun mm. and the rain and everything, then they go back and check on them. That's what we did with our Adirondacks. Yeah. Um, you know, there's there are not enough hours and not enough days in the week. That's that's about what it comes down to. We'd love we to. We barely got enough time for this. Right. We would love to do all that stuff. Yeah. Um but it's like a luxury item. Yeah, we're we're still uh embroiled in just the the meat and potatoes. Yeah, I mean, you know, we sold maybe a dozen sets of those plans. Yeah, we gave away a few. Yeah, I mean, you're talking 100 oh, would make a hundred dollars. So no sales are a hundred dollars and it costs, you know, two full days of Rob's time yeah. to make them. So we're at a net loss of, you know, go figure. Um, no, we're not, you know, if we were one of these big, uh, content creator people who's got a billion followers, then we could make plans and sell them for mm-hmm. a profit. But, um, nobody wants to buy our plans. no, and the truth is we're more excited about getting tidbits of information from a would-be client mm-hmm. and creating something fresh and new. Yeah, yeah, yep. Um, that That's the part that really, you know, gets us going. Yeah, I find design without some sort of direction is difficult, too. Mm-hmm. You know, could I pick out of a hat, all right, I'm going to build a, a, a transitional-style buffet <laughs> yeah. and then sit down and try and design something. Yeah, yeah but that's not, you know... Um, it seems, I don't know, weird. Yeah, we like to have some some goal in mind, like when we start. Yeah, like I want somebody else to figure out all the the need to the you know the necessary information or the uh, the required the requirements, and then design from that. Yeah, like yeah. I don't want to have to start from just a blank canvas and come up with something mm-hmm. that's a little too uh, too uh, far ahead of my skill set. Yeah. The other thing is when we've tried to do something like that, we we sort of box ourselves into this idea that we're going to please everyone in every situation. Yeah. And it makes it almost impossible. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like, well, you know, we're going to do this coffee table. Yeah, but what if they wanted it like this instead of like that? You find that a lot of these spec-built pieces of furniture that aren't like something kind of run-of-the-mill are very impractical typically. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they're just kind of uh, form over function and don't really suit, like, actual use. Yeah, it's a gallery piece. Yeah. Um, I don't know what fucking gallery these things are in, but... <laughs> I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> but, yeah, like a dining room table where it looks great in a photo, but, you know, everybody's knees are going to hit, you right. know, where they're trying to, you know sidle on up to the table and, mm-hmm. and that that kind of thing or where it's totally unstable it's just set up there for a picture yeah um and what you don't see is there's actually it's leaning on a stick to hold up 
a corner that's of it. That's where ropes come from ceiling yeah. to hold it up. Uh, I mean, that's that's not unheard of. So, um, no, the response to the Adirondack chairs has kind of uh, settled us into the idea that we should stick to just uh, building on a commission basis. Yeah. Unless uh, Colin's got some other ideas. Mm, that's true. You could send us some of that nice Australian wood he's got. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'll read this next one. Um, I'm really interested in that dowel technique I saw you use for the oak Dutch door. Am I correct to assume you drilled the dowels post-assembly through the joint to reinforce, then capped the dowels with a false through tenon? I've always liked the floating tenon plunge router jig method, but deep mortises can be a challenge in wild st- in wide style doors. Domino XL is cool but expensive, and I wouldn't use it as much as my 500. That dowel technique seemed like a good economical way to get a strong door. That's from Parsons Woodwork on Instagram. It's pretty much right on there, right? Yeah, yeah. I couldn't uh, I couldn't find your name, your slippery slippery fellow there on Instagram. Um, you know your actual your government name. Um. Yeah, I'm glad somebody liked the technique because I got a lot of shit over that. Um, I don't know what everybody's problem is. You should have used real through tenons. Okay, let's just make the door cost twice as much as it yeah, costs now. Yeah. Um, we're working within the reality. Yeah, one, of... two, three, four, five. We're gonna cut eight through tenons on the door. Yeah. So, um, you're right. That's what we did. We uh. You know, it's a cope and stick door, so the tenons are only, you know, five-eighths long. Um, so, you know, stub tenons like that, it's not it's not strong enough for a door like that. The door is too big. There's too much movement. It's an exterior door. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there's a couple ways to go. Like you said, you could do an actual, you could do a big slip tenon with a router. You could do a through tenon with a router. You could, uh, you know, build it with through tenons. Um. Uh, the DF seven hundred, you could use that. The big domino. Mm-hmm. What we decided to do was cut a, a mortise on the outside. We sunk in. What was it four? Yeah, four like ten inch long, three eighths inch dowels going into a five eighths wide. Um. Uh, tenon going through. You know, through the the styles into the rails, you know, so going dead center, and then cover it up with an end grain plug that it makes it look like a through tenon, you know. Right. Going in a house that would have doors built that way with through tenons, so, you know, match the look of the of the time period. Right. It's, I mean, if that's a tried and true method. Yeah, I mean, people build, you know, blind doweled doors like that all the time. Mm-hmm. We just did it, you know. We just covered way. the end with a different look rather than you see in the... Yeah, or some people do them blind, so oh, yeah. it's only on the inside. And But then you got to worry about lining all those things up. Mm-hmm. We don't have a dowling jig. It's not just not something that we do. Um, so this was really killing two birds with one stone. It was making a door that was more, you know, looked more period appropriate and was stronger than, right. than what it would have been otherwise. Just using the, the cope and stick joint. I probably would have failed because, they, you know, the homeowner is going to be responsible for the upkeep of the door and the right. weather. And up here we get all four seasons. It's, mm-hmm. It could be tough on something like that. Yeah. 
Yeah, you know, it's a door that operates a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and it's big. I mean, yeah. you're talking a nine-inch rail on the bottom. That thing was heavy. Yeah. All right, so if he's got any questions, I mean, I think he's got it sorted out. Yeah. But Yeah, uh, and there's, you know, you could probably do that several different ways. This next question... Got one here from Ryan, RP Woodwork on Instagram. How big is your shop? Not big at all. Subjective, but yeah, I'm going to have to agree. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's it's 24 by 36 uh, on the pad. You know, that's the outside dimensions. Mm-hmm. It's essentially like a two-car garage, right? Yeah, that- so it must be 23 by 35, roughly 22 by, by uh, 34 on the inside. And... It's jammed with stuff, but it's typically not messy jammed. It's, you know, we, we spend a lot of time sorting out where the machines are going to go, the, yeah. the work path, and when something new comes in the shop, you know, we try and figure out where it's going to go. A lot of, a lot of things have been uh, stored over there in Deadwood Gulch lately. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, like right now, the I mean, it's packed. It's we got ropes in there for the commercial job. We got a cabinet, all these glass panels, glass for the wine cabinet. I mean, it's full of, it's full. It's full of jobs. Um, and besides, yeah. Uh, so you can get a lot done in a small place. Yeah, and we don't move tools around or anything like that. No. Um, once in a while, we got to uh, slide the shape out of the way. If mm-hmm. we're, Using the crosscut sled for something big. Yep. Um, but other than that, everything's pretty much good to go where it is. Yeah. Uh, so give us your best. We had a week to get X done story. That's from Matt, patron. I know a guy, Viz, on Instagram. This guy works. <laughs> I, I follow him on Instagram and I'm tired just trying to keep up with his posts. Proud new owner of a Mercedes Sprinter van. He must have got a diesel. Um, I think I asked him. I forget what he said. I'm pretty sure he did. We're still yeah. waiting on ours. I was hoping they would call today, but yeah. it's still he's, early. He's gotten more done this summer than I think... Uh, Especially around the house. I mean, then I have in By 10 years. By himself, too. He's never got anybody helping him. <laughs> He's clearing the land. I know. Planting a garden, digging ponds. Just laying stone. set up the whole shop. Yeah. This is another. I mean, it's a tough one. Because we don't really rush, do we? Not typically. I mean, only if, you know, something happens. The hardest we probably worked was building the deck. That's <laughs> true. There was no time limit on that, though. Yeah. Um, you know, have we ever been under the gun to get something done? I mean, recently, like the watch, the Audemars watch thing, you know. Um, but, I mean, nothing crazy. You know, that's the thing. People probably uh, don't understand that how small our shop is and how our our pace of work <laughs> it's very human you know we go by yeah. our clocks and everything like that well yeah and i think the the reality is that most other people just um 
allow themselves to get into these situations where, um, you know, they don't, <clears throat> they don't allocate enough time for a job or they allow the clients to dictate timeline, mm. um, where, you know, we're not working any slower or faster than anybody else. We're just, we have the client to an understanding of it's going to take this long. And, you know, no matter what you say, it just takes this long. Like, right. You know, it doesn't do us any good to work a hundred hours a week. No. Who, who said it to us the other day? Do you want it good or do you want it fast? Uh, I think we were just, we were talking about that with Tommy and, and Joe. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, Tommy G. Cause he does stained glass, which mm -hmm. is, you know, it's a similar kind of craft where you have to pay attention to what you're doing. It's, it's not really something that you can blast through. Yeah. Um, but we, you know, there are those days where we go, wow, we got a lot done today, mm -hmm. but that's just kind of just working at our regular pace. Yeah. Um so we don't we don't have anything like that. I we and we haven't really been in business that long to um have any kind of crazy story about uh being behind schedule and getting anything, you know, getting something done. Yeah, I mean I don't know. To me it's like all these deadlines are flexible. Mhm. Mm you know, if it looks like we're going to run late on a job and it's like we're a week behind schedule. I'm not going to put in an extra week. I'm not going to put in two weeks of work in one week before I call the client and say, you know, Hey, right. listen, we're behind. So this happened. The material was delayed. Something got fucked up, whatever. And have a discussion about it. Um, we can see the writing on the wall as far as timing goes. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we want what's good for the client. So again, if the situation was, no, they need it in a week and we have to put in two weeks of work in a week, then that's what we would yeah. do. But typically that's not the case. Right. Um, and, you know, people get into this Rob and Jack to pay Jill thing or Peter to pay Paul, whatever, whatever you want to say, um, where they don't have a choice because they got to get paid on this. Mm -hmm. They need a progress payment on this job. Um, so they have no choice but to, to get it done. But we try not to put ourselves in that position. That's kind of a disappointing answer. Yeah. yeah. We got We got nothing there. <laughs> I mean, nothing really worth mentioning. <laughs> Got nothing. I mean, Viz knows. I was in the shop five o'clock a couple weeks ago because yeah. I had to get that flower thing done, um, you know, to deliver by seven a.m. But same thing when you know, it's about uh, as crazy as it gets. Uh, last uh, Friday, you you came in at six with the scones to, for Tommy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, stuff happens, and sometimes you got to come in early, stay late, but. Yeah, usually we spread it out. Like we'll work over the weekend, like the the computer work. We'll work on designs yeah. into the evening, but that's you know that remote kind of work from yeah, home. Oh, yeah. We'll be talking uh, electronically, mm -hmm. so we tend to spread it out like that. Oh, look at look at this next. Uh, this is gonna be another riveting answer. Sorry, <laughs> to, hate to break it to you guys. Jaffa Hernandez on Instagram. He's uh, one of our patrons, and he's asking, ever done an epoxy finish? No. <laughs> no. Um, I can definitely appreciate. Now we're talking about an epoxy finish, not like an epoxy, like, table. Like a poured epoxy, yeah. Yeah, um, you know, on, like, a, a jewelry box or something like that. You get that super thick, 
like lacquer looking finish. Mm-hmm. I mean, I can appreciate that um, in certain situations, but I just haven't done it. Yeah, the the closest I ever came to something like that was when I was um, I was in the SFMC, mm-hmm. and uh, we'd have our weekly meetings on Thursdays, and we had our own river table. Yeah, no, there was no river table back then. It didn't mm-hmm. come. Some homeless guy probably had one yeah, like, under a bridge. Well, we had a bar in our clubhouse, and um, I took it upon myself to refinish it and put one of those epoxy tops on it, you know, for that they sold in the two cans. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, bars. Like, that's what he's talking about. I'm pretty yeah, sure. yeah. So I did that. It stunk the whole place up. Yeah, but I mean, it like for things like that, like that's when you think of like a bar, like. Not, in a motorcycle club. Right. Yeah, we're like just like a bar. Like, yeah, not like a wet bar for your house, like a nice house. But, like, yeah. you know, it has its place for, like, things like that. Yeah, it was su- super thick, super durable. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it's probably that bar top is probably still in service. Yeah. And that was uh, about 22 years ago. Bad. I think I was about... Uh... Yeah, what grade were you in 22 years ago? 22 years ago was, what was that, 1998? Yeah. Oh, Lord. Third grade. Yeah, I was riding with the SFMC. Was, uh, yeah, for the millennium, I was in fifth grade. We, that, we had uh, that, you know, the SFMC is the second oldest motorcycle club in the entire world. In the world? In the world. Well, the oldest. Just by about six months, Yonkers. Wow. Yonkers, New York. Why, oh. Yeah. Um, SFMC started in 1903. Hmm. Um, and you got a prospect to get your colors. 1903, wow. There were barely even motorcycles back then. Yeah, that was the thing. Um, so like it had bicycle pedals on it, too. Yeah, there's some old, there are some old pictures mm-hmm. in, the, uh, in the clubhouse. Uh, especially like in the forties and stuff like that, you could see the people there. They had like women involved, dressed almost like cheerleaders. You would think, hmm. like with wearing sweaters. Yeah, and, yeah. Um, you know, so it had a totally different thing going on before. The like I, you know, the whole thing with the Hell's Angels that came about post World War Two. Yeah. <clears throat> so before that it was really like you know an adventure, sport kind of thing, because there were no roads, really, going cross-country. There were a lot oh, of yeah. dirt track. And, yeah. Um, yeah. I wonder what, uh, wonder what the guys are doing. There's probably a few old-timers still there from when I was there. Oh, I'm sure. You see, this, uh, this next one's kind of like uh, two questions that are intertwined. Okay. So I guess, I guess I'll read both, and then we can uh, answer accordingly. Uh, what materials do you want to work with that you haven't incorporated into your work yet? That's from Keith, our newest patron, our friend nice. and patron, Blackthorn Concepts on Instagram. Um, and now the second question that goes with that. Now that you have worked with steel, glass, and stained glass with your work, what other types of material would you like to incorporate? That's from Corey, CT Woodwork on Instagram. Wow. It's funny how we get these questions that are sort of interlinked like that a lot. Well, I know I, I won't say 
one thing that I'm thinking of because I'm sure you're gonna you're gonna it's it's on your mind and I'll leave that for you. Okay. Um, I could always add it if you don't say it, but I'm sure you will. Epoxy uh, River Table. <sighs> we know it. <laughs> one thing I worked with early on that I'd like to try again is like forged metal, mm-hmm. which was pretty cool. Um. You know, what's left? Metal, I mean, there's stone. I, I've worked with stone. In fact, for the church in um, Tom's River, I got those stone veneers from mm-hmm. Canada yeah. and used those for uh, door panels. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, re- I can't think of anything off the top of my head, you know. Uh, what are we going to velvet? Uh, mm. <laughs> Only on our paint rollers. Um, were you going to say alabaster? Yeah. Yeah. So actually that's why Keith, uh, brings this up. He had a little sub question about the alabaster, which I omitted, but, uh, yeah. So Keith actually has done, he carved this tulip out of alabaster and you got to go check it out on his page. I mean, it's like one of the coolest things I've seen the way that this stone is workable with, um, just like regular kind Mm -hmm. of tools. Um, so we have this chunk of alabaster that he gave us at the shop to mess around with. Um, so I think that that would be a really cool thing to incorporate. Um, excuse Solid. me. Um, what else? I mean, I definitely think, uh, definitely want to incorporate more steel and, and stained glass. Mm-hmm. Um, steel is great. I, I really yeah. like the way it complements wood. Mm-hmm. I like, I like to get more into it. It being part of the mechanical fastening element, as you know, as well as an aesthetic element in a piece of furniture, yep. you know, mixed with wood. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, because what is it? There's wood, there's stone, there's metal, there's glass. Plastic. Plastics, yeah. Um, you know, uh, canings, pretty cool. Uh, leather. Yeah. I mean, we've done some upholstery work. I've done a few headboards where mixed in upholstery. Mm-hmm. Um, but generally that's something that I'll prepare for an upholsterer. I won't even yeah. get into that. Yep. Um, yeah, I'm sure Corey even means in like a, just a design element too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, all of it. Yeah, everything. That's the short answer. Or the, I guess the long answer at this point. Yeah, you know what I'm always intrigued by, too? Like incorporating mechanical technology. Like back when they were sort of uh, just coming out, I never got to build one, but I always wanted to build one of those cabinets where the TV comes out of it, raises yeah. out of it. So I like stuff like that, too, where we're incorporating technology. Like that uh, vanity we designed with the servo drive. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 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 stuff like that. That's a story. I'd say. So technology, mm-hmm. moving parts. Yeah. Um, that's what I'd like to get more of. Um, all right, you want to move on? You want me to read the next one? Yeah. This is also well, this is from Corey again, CT Woodwork. How do you cut out for butt hinges? Um, so me personally, I uh, I like to screw them on, 
and mark them with a knife, and then I pull them off. Then I'll, you know, define the knife wall with the chisel. And then I might use a, a router to hog out, you know, the bulk of it, depending on what size hinge it is. And then I come in with a, uh, a mortise butt plane. And that's it. Yeah. I, I'm pretty much the same thing from the from the beginning there, and mm-hmm. then, but I'm because of my tooling, what I have, I'm a chisel guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, those those little planes you have, those things are pretty cool. Yeah, the mortise butt plane, you know, made specifically for butt hinges, and it's basically a bevel down chisel with two, you know, with a big soul so you have you can reference on the jam that's it you know, uh, you know that, on the edge of the door it rides on the edge of the door on the outside like that it's yeah um you know it's just I, I believe me i've done more more hinges with just a chisel than i could even remember you know even just working as a finished carpenter and sh- strikes and all that stuff it's hard it's it's next to impossible to get a perfectly you know consistent thickness mm-hmm. of depth on the the mortise with just a chisel um, so the the mortise butt plane is really nice for that. Yeah, you, you know, yeah. it's only going to cut as deep as you set it. Yeah, because I always used to do the method where you know you do all the little cross mm-hmm. hits and then you know <laughs> then the grain of the wood goes down and the next thing you know you got a huge yeah, chunk you got out. A little, got a little chunk missing out of the middle. Yeah, <laughs> it's like and oh. that happens with the thing too. You know, yeah. <laughs> grain directions, everything. You got to reverse the thing sometimes, but. Uh, you know, this next question is, it's almost apropos to something we've been working on for about a week in the design phase. Mm. It's not, not refuse. Nick Trayer on Instagram asks us, was there a time you refused to do something because of unrealistic expectations? Um, I mean, that table, uh, has been, it's definitely been, a. You know, a head scratcher, yeah. but refuse is just not the right word. Yeah, um, I mean, I can't, I just can't think of anything. We, we rarely refuse to do anything. Yeah. Um, I mean, we definitely passed on jobs before, uh, but not not having to do with unrealistic expectations. No, um, like if somebody wants like. The kitchen where they wanted those really narrow styles and rails on the very big doors. Yeah. We kind of talked our way into a compromise there. Mm-hmm. We, you know, we made them bigger, not as big as we would have liked, but. Yeah, we saw what happened with those. Uh-huh. And uh, so, yeah, we, we don't refuse, but we'll try and um, kind of lend our experience and and expertise, if you will, to the situation, see if we could convince somebody to alter their their ideas a little. Yeah, I mean, I guess unreal. we've had people with unrealistic budgetary expectations that oh, we've yeah. refused. That happens all the time. Um, yeah, if that's part of it, yeah, we, we just tell them, no, we can't do it for that. Yeah. Yeah. Let's say we got more than that material. Yeah, that's the thing. People are a little bit... Uh, Removed from the cost of doing stuff like this. Oh yeah, a lot removed. This is this one's. Uh, this could be a pretty quick answer if we don't expound on it. This next question: Are mm-hmm. you on page two? Yeah. Um, this is another one from Ryan RP Woodwork on Instagram. What do you use the most, plywood or hardwood? 
Yeah. That's uh, typically, typically we use, um, I'd say 75% hardwood and 25% plywood, uh, maybe even more percentage wise on the hardwood. Um, but you know, again, it varies for the job. Yeah. Job to job, the commercial, there, there's not a stitch of, Oh no, we got, we did those big tabletops. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you're talking 200 board feet of walnut. Yeah. I forgot all about that. That's more than some people use in a whole year. Yeah. Um, like things like the confessional, Mm -hmm. that's a, a pretty good mix of, um, hardwood and plywood. Yeah. That's probably about a, maybe a 60, 40. Yeah. The altar rail, that's basically all hardwood that the whole thing's, you know, if you discount the, uh, the just the stand, plat- yeah. yeah, the platform, it's it's all which is wrapped in hardwood, right? It's all hardwood. Um, that that cherry yeah. kitchen cabinets are going to be yeah. mostly plywood casework, of course, yeah. yeah. But um, then you know we'll build solid casework too, like uh, you know we did that black, uh, those two black wall units for Easton. There oh, was yeah. a half a sheet of plywood and two. You know, yeah, two just uh, for the backs, five foot wide uh, wall units. Same thing for the cherry cabinet, just the back. Yep. Um, you know, it has a lot to do with the budgetary constraints of the job, the um, aesthetic that they're going for. Well, I guess well, it, it depends. It, every factor of the job, you know, leads us to, you know, the, the decision of what pieces are going to be sheet stock and what pieces are going to be yeah. hardwood. Functionality um, of the material is yeah. always going to be taken into consideration as well. Yeah, I mean, you want slab doors, big slab doors, but your budget is low. we got no <laughs> choice but to make them out of plywood. Um, so if you want us to do it and we want to do it, then we have no choice but to use plywood. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, if we can make build big stave core and veneer them, then we'll do that. Right, but it all all has to do with the specific situation, um, but a, as a whole, we definitely we use a, a good bit of hardwood. At least we try to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm just looking at this next question from Adam. Mm-hmm. He's built by AT on Instagram. He's also one of our uh, loyal patrons. Mm-hmm. I don't even understand. I don't know what any of those things are. I don't know what those acronyms are, but. <laughs> You want me to read it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. Do you use any kind of CRM or FSM software or app? I'm currently using Google Docs and Evernote to track everything, and I'm looking for something else to stay organized. Managing inquiries, quotes, hours, billing, etc. So let's look up uh, CRM. I, I've FSM. heard the uh, the terms. CRM, CRM. Customer relationship management. Okay, so we're talking about stuff like home base, I know, is one of those. FSM. Field service scheduling. Uh, wait. Field service management. Okay. Um, No. So... All of our uh, customer correspondence is happening within either email, text message, 
and very infrequently phone call. Right. Um, I, I personally, I like to have everything in writing as insignificant as a conversation may be. So I, I, uh, I like text or email cause I can always go back and reference that and I'll say, what the hell did I talk? What did they, mm-hmm. did they say they wanted uh cherry or walnut? You know, this way it's all in writing. Um, uh, managing inquiries, quotes, hours, billing. Yeah, I mean, it's all, this is all basically 90, 95% happening on email. Um, you know, we're not d- doing a huge amount of volume, so we don't, Yeah, we're not inundated with like too much. So it's not really, you know, more than we can handle just in that sort of, you know. The quotes are just, it's generally, it's a file on the computer where or a yeah. folder where it's going to be the drawing, it's going to be a spreadsheet. And uh, and a written document, mm-hmm. and that's what we refer back to. We open up the Jones folder. Yep. Uh, how much we got materials on on the Jones job, mm-hmm. and we can see it there. Yeah. Um. You know, is it the best way to do it? No, but <laughs> no. um, there's two of us, and we, you know, we run a pretty small business. So yeah, I mean, when it starts, if it's if and when it starts to pose a problem, then we can shift and do something else. But um. You know, we're not fixing leaks that don't exist in the boat. So right. when the boat starts leaking, then we'll plug the hole. But uh, up until that point, it's sort of, it's, I wouldn't say wasted effort, but, um, you know, we only have so much that we can do. So that time is better spent somewhere else. Yeah. And we're able to share these documents back and forth yeah. from our computers. So, and like, uh, you know, it's all in the email. So, uh, for example, we sent off a bid for this uh, concierge desk at the building where we built the Chase Lounges. Now, the you know, we didn't get it. Somebody else got it, some hipster guy up North Jersey. <laughs> he, he was less expensive than we were. Yeah, and the design was about, you know, he was probably 10% less expensive, and the design was, you know, 35% less good. Yeah. Um, so now they're saying, oh, you know, he can't do it in the time frame. You think you guys could do it, blah, blah, blah. I could just go back. I just search Celia Concierge, my email. Email pops up. I go to the original bid. I don't even have to go to the... It's all on my phone. Mm-hmm. And I can access it from anywhere. Um, so I like it in that way, that everything is just sort of searchable and accessible at all times. Like, if if I sent the bid to someone, then yeah. I can get it at any time. It doesn't even have to be saved on the computer. It is, but, um, you know, I can just always pull it up on my phone. Yeah. I like it on the computer because the screen's bigger. <laughs> I'm old. I mean, I prefer it on the computer, but. Um, like when I was looking at the drawings the other day, I kept having to like, you know, expand them just so I could see things and scroll. Oh, well, yeah, of course. Yeah. Uh, that That's. Uh, what, is this this too much work? It's bothersome. You know, I like to I like to see it all in one shot. Your phone's only about a quarter of the size of your computer. I know. I got the biggest phone and the smallest computer. Yeah. I got this 27-inch <laughs> iMac over here. This thing's huge. The screen, like like when you full screen stuff, mm-hmm. it still shrinks it down, like within the thing. You got to zoom it in to uh, make it, because I think it, you know, it thinks it's going to be too big for you or something. I see. So we're not using any of those um, those apps at the moment. No. I mean, we've tried uh, using Google calendars and stuff just for in... Uh, uh, would be inter, intra, 
intra business. Yeah. Intra business scheduling, like things within the business, not business to business, but within this business, like Google calendars, Asana, which remembered the, the, uh, complete contempt that Deadwood approached. Oh my God. You know, and he had a bookkeeping background. Well, because he couldn't do anything, so he didn't want to be told what he had and had not to do. Um, you know, to try and uh, keep things organized, we we tried out a couple of things like that. But yeah, um, it know. seems like if we got to the point where we had an office manager, that we'd have software like yeah, this in use. yeah, because it has to be you know accessible yeah. by everybody and and you know. Right now, we kind of know everything between us. What's yeah. going on? Yeah, uh, it's like. When is what are we doing today? Oh, we're doing that. Okay. And like some of the information, like we don't even have to, like some of the stuff I know and some of the stuff you know, and mm-hmm. the other one doesn't know because we don't both need to know. It's just <laughs> okay. Right. He's handling that. I'm handling this. <laughs> it's easier that way. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's on a need to know basis sometimes. <laughs> we uh, we got another one from Nick here, Nick Trayer on Instagram. To inlay or not to inlay, that is the question. Oh, I, I like it. He's getting uh, getting Shakespearean on us. Poetic, yeah. Um, what would you want to inlay into a piece you make? Yeah, alabaster. Yeah. I mean, stone, it would be an awesome choice. Yeah. I know they do little bits of that, like in guitar work mm-hmm. with the abalone yeah, and things like that, the shell. Um. And with the watch stuff, mm-hmm. you've done a little bit, of, you know, inlay like with the inlay. metal. Yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, yeah, like maybe something with the alabaster that's backlit or something like that would be cool. Mm-hmm. Um, now, you know, I, I like stringing, like holly stringing. You know, you get that real, in something dark, get that real white, thin type of stringing. Um it's a it's a super situational thing. Like we don't get a lot of work that would call for no. inlay. Um nor do we typically have the sort of carte blanche on on uh budget to incorporate it. Right. Um because that's a lot of hand work. Yeah. And uh you know, um I don't know. There's just not a lot of uh not a lot of demand for it. That's true too. I mean, design wise it's it's not really uh, something that we uh, incorporate a lot or, or uh, are asked to do either. Yeah. Um, you know, we, uh, I don't know how far you want to stretch the definition of inlay, but like, you know, Cheryl's. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah. You know, inlaying a piece of walnut onto the edge of a shelf that's made out of solid cherry, stuff like that. Yeah, I like that. So we will, you know, do stuff like that, but not any type of marquetry or or inlay in that sense. No, that's out of not our... Not that we wouldn't do it, but... Um, scope of work most often. Yeah. Hey, this is uh, this next question from John, Trinity Tradesman. Mm. This is pretty appropriate. We got a, a good, solid answer for him. We have to spill the beans. He's asking, buy a saw stop table saw or buy a grizzly table saw and jointer... For the same money. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really With the wrong guys to ask. It's really hard. No, I mean, it's really hard to answer that because I don't know what kind of joiner you have. Um, like, 
if you don't have a joiner or your joiner doesn't really work, then I'd say you're better off with, with a grizzly table saw and a joiner. Cause then mm-hmm. at least you have both working like the grizzly table saw is going to work fine. Yeah. Um, but you know, can't stress enough the, the benefits of the saw stop in terms of safety and, uh, it just being a good saw in general, but eh, it's a hard one to answer. Yeah. I, I happen to like the better made grizzly stuff. Yeah. You know, I, I believe in those things. Um, and because I understand what they are and what they aren't. Right. Uh, yeah, they, it's not a Martin. It's never right, going to be. Right. Either is a saw stop, but. And it's, it's to me, priced really well. They, mm-hmm. They've, they got it down. They've been doing this for a long time. They're the first people to go over there to China and, like, get their factory all tuned up. Taiwan. What's that? Taiwan. Yeah, Taiwan. Um, and they let you know, this one's our C level, this mm-hmm. one's our B level, and this one's our A level. Yep. Here are the differences. They don't try and sell you the C for the A price. Right. Um. You know, we got that uh, $800 bandsaw still busting it out. It's not the greatest bandsaw ever built. Yeah. But it's 800 bucks and Well, it used to be. Yeah. About um, double that now. It's it's still kicking it out. Mm-hmm. And uh, so we have uh, a table saw. We have a unisaw and we have a saw stop. Table saw is our main table saw. Uh-huh. Uh, we got the industrial model, and we just made another purchase. Yeah, uh, actually bought it from Grizzly Industrial, um, the job site pro. We got the, as you guys know, we got the van coming and, you know, need to start outfitting it for any type, all, all types of installs. So um, that's one thing that we, Deadwood had a table saw. Um, was that a Bosch? Did yeah, have? it was a, yeah, 4100. Um, but we haven't had a table saw and, you know, going on whatever it is, eight, nine months. Um, Job site saw. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So just something we need, you know, you can't, sometimes on an install, that the tool you need is a table saw. Mm-hmm. Sometimes there's no way around it. Um, yeah, he didn't have, his was mounted on a piece of plywood that he set up on a uh, one of those uh, plastic tables. Oh, I thought his had like a DeWalt stand or something. That was for his miter saw. Oh, I thought he had that little X-frame metal one. Hmm. Did he? Maybe. It wasn't. Whatever it was, it wasn't very good. Um, but this one comes with the, the full Yeah, on, like that folding deal with the wheels. Yeah, it's a dolly yeah. and it stands up on its own. And Yeah, I mean, you know, you could buy three job site table saws for the price of this thing. But, you know, it goes to show you that, you know, we believe in the saw stop. Yeah. The brand, as lame as that says this sounds to say um, the build quality and the technology yeah I mean, yeah uh, to me i if i could only have the even though we use the 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 cabinet saw 90 percent of the time and we'd use the job site saw 10 percent of the time mm-hmm. if i could only have it on one i'd probably pick the job site saw because the conditions are always going to yeah. be worse yeah, you're going to be doing something that you probably wouldn't do. You're out on a lawn, on yeah. uneven ground. That's where you're going to have an accident. Wacky, you know, <laughs> it's not like you're standing there ripping pieces on site. Like yeah. you're, 
going to be scribing a piece of toe or a, or a piece of fascia for a kitchen or whatever, stuff like that. It's going to be these weird, you're mm-hmm. going to have to notch something around something. Right. Um, so, yeah, you're always making weird kind of sketchy cuts on the table saw when it comes to insult. <laughs> That's right. Um, so give me that saw stuff. Yeah, I mean, I don't really, care. You, you know what's so funny is that it's such a small, even though it sounds like a lot, oh, I could buy two or three of these other saws. Let's say two, you know, good other job site saws. It's double the cost. Well, no, well, it is sorry. triple. <laughs> With the stand and everything, too? Oh, yeah, yeah. All yeah, right. you get a, a like a Bosch or a Dewalt about five hundred bucks or less. Okay, maybe even three hundred. Okay, so it is triple, um, maybe even five times more. But let's say what is that nine hundred dollars more, uh, eight hundred dollars more? What do we pay? Thirteen hundred, fifteen hundred? Oh no, yeah, I mean after everything is sixteen twenty five. Okay, after that's... tax free, all that shit. But. Uh, so what's the is it was it twelve ninety nine or something like that or thirteen ninety nine? Thirteen ninety nine. Okay, so fourteen hundred we'll we'll use that to compare to let's say four hundred. A thousand dollars in the whole scheme of things, the lifetime of the tool and your you know, use, your joy in using it, the safety in using it. Mm-hmm. It's a thousand bucks. Yeah. I mean if you got to save your money, try and save it somewhere else. Right. It's like, you know, I, I always crack up where people buy a $20,000 motorcycle and then they buy the cheapest helmet they could find. Mm-hmm. It's like, that's not where you're looking to save your money. Yeah. Or you buy a Lamello biscuit joiner and then you buy the cheapest Hayfleet biscuits right. that are all right. different sizes. And, yeah. Yeah. It, it, it doesn't make any sense. It's $1,000. Are we worth it? Yes, we're worth it. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have that thing for how many years? Right. I um, look at it as by the day, you know? So it's going to cost us a dollar a day for five years? Mm-hmm. That's worth it. Yeah. Even if it sits 90% of the time. I agree. When when we need that saw, we're going to be happy to have it. Yeah, I mean, you know, what if we have to rip something big? We can set that thing up outside of the shop. You know, we mm-hmm. have we have a decent amount of in-feed and out-feed. Um, but you know, you get into these weird situations where you got to do something. It pays to have something that you could set up outside right. or we have to rip some kind of wacky material that, you know, or whatever. It's just, yeah. just another uh, arrow in your quiver. Yeah, I agree a hundred percent. So there you go. Saw, stop, table, saw, um, for us, if you had to, if you were pinched in for time and you had to have both tools, I'd go with the Grizzly stuff. Yeah, like if you need a joiner, then get two good tools um, instead of one good tool. I mean, the table saw is not going to be as good as the saw stop, but it's pretty damn close. Yeah, yeah. Uh, got another one here from Ryan. RP Woodwork on Instagram. Do you have any sponsors? Well, we're proud to say we do. Yeah, I mean, well, if you listen to the beginning of the podcast, I think that Ryan, maybe maybe uh, he's going to start listening this week. This is the first time he's writing in, I believe. Um, yeah, so we, uh, we've we been working with Montana Brand Tools now for, I don't even know, it must be... A couple months, six months? Yeah, maybe 12. Has it been six? No, no, it hasn't been that long. Maybe what? two or three months? 
Hmm. I don't know. It's hard to tell. I mean, I, I'm really bad judge of time thinking back in the past. But See, time does go so quickly. We're at episode 48. Okay, so at least 10 episodes. That's episode 38. We got it on there. 34. I think that's when we started. It was episode 34. 33? Oh, no. 33. That's 15 weeks. So episode 33. Yeah, so for the last 15 weeks, I've been working with, um, with Montana Brand Tools now. You know, we're not getting paid. Um, the deal we worked out is, uh, you know, we wanted some product for uh, the Patreon patrons to give yeah, away. Give to away them. stuff. Um, so, you know, we uh, we do a little spot at the beginning. And, you know, they're, they're awesome guys out there making stuff in Montana. So um, it's I think it's a good fit for us. And, uh, you know, who knows what type of sponsorship it may lead to in the future. But um, for us now... That's that's yeah. We think it's fair. Yeah, and uh, even preferable to any type of monetary sponsorship mm -hmm. because, um, you know, we're not gonna be paying the bills with, the, <laughs> with any sponsorships at this point. So, might as well do something that yeah. benefits you know the Patreon patrons. Which uh, we should pick somebody this week. We'll give away another little Montana yeah little prize pack. Should should we uh, have like a like a secret question or something like that? So that somebody who's listening to the podcast answers the question and uh Well, it's gotta be a patron though. Yeah. Yeah, a patron. Yeah, not somebody. A patron listening to the podcast. I guess we could do it on during the, the on patron the, section, yeah. yeah. Give like a math equation. Yeah. Super complicated one. Whoever's the first to figure it out. Yeah, I think they would figure it out before us. It's possible. <laughs> This is uh, our penultimate question. Yeah. After this is the question of the week. It's from Alex. Alex Mitchell, 84, on Instagram. Uh, boy, I'm going to have to take a few breaths before I read this. <laughs> so Alex, uh, he's telling us, you guys sold me on the Real Milk Paint Co. tongue oil. I'm used to sanding cherry and walnut to 500 grit before I apply boiled linseed oil. When I sanded my cherry miter fence to 500 grit, the finish became rough to the touch after a few weeks. I called the sweet people at Real Milk Paint down the road from me. They recommend me to stop sanding at 150 or 180 grit. They said the pores are too tight in cherry, and when I sand past 220, the tongue oil can't get inside the wood. For lack of a better term, it sits on top of the surface. So, number one. What grits do you guys sand to before using tongue oil? Number two, after wood comes out of the helical head planer and joiner, what grit do you start with? Because of how smooth the lumber is, I start with 180, but would like to know what y'all, southern term, of course. <laughs> uh, you know, I lived in Texas. I, I know y'all. <laughs> that's, not, that's not the south. That's Texas. Okay. So I'd like to know what y'all do after the Powermatic finishes its job. Um, yeah. So I mean, I've heard the same thing about sanding too high with oil finishes. I've heard people talk about sanding to like a thousand grit with oil finishes, and it's just sort of no. uh, 
has boggled my mind. But um, so we, I guess, addressing the first. Typically, we sand to two twenty. Yeah. Um, now, if it's like a a surface that's going to be touched a lot, like a top of something, I'll go to three twenty sometimes. Yeah. And apparently, real milk paint is saying otherwise, and and this is even like for cherry. Um, I can't say that I've had the same experience. I mean, these were saying it's, I think, 320. Yeah, we've gotten uh, good results at 320. Yeah. Um, done white oak at 320, cherry, walnut, um, and haven't had any bad experiences. But, um, yeah, so typically 220, and we get really good uh, results with that. Like my bed, I was looking at it yesterday. Uh, finished with real milk paint, uh, it's cherry. Finished with real milk paint, tongue oil, sanded to two twenty, and it's uh two or three years old now. It looks great. It got nice and dark. It's still super smooth. I mean, it's in a house with a dog and a kid and a wife and me. <laughs> you know, so it gets banged up, and I mean, it's still it feels great. It's still super smooth. Um, it hasn't. It's not showing any signs of being dry. And I think I only have maybe two or three coats on there. Um, now, after it comes out of the planer, I like to start with freaking fruit flies. Start with 120 um, always, unless there's something really bad, then maybe 100. But, yeah, for me, it's always 120. Yeah. 120 is my default grit. If it looks, you know, nice, like there's absolutely no machine mark on it, mm -hmm. which is pretty rare because if you hold it to the light, You'll you could kind of see it. Yeah, like it feels smooth, but there's definitely, yeah, you know, machining marks on there. And if it like, and that's only happens if it's like a, a smallish piece or like, you know, like we, I just made the toe solid oak, uh, toe kick mm -hmm. recess toe for the thing. Like I just did that with just 150 yeah. out of the, the planer because it doesn't really matter. It's going to be down at the floor. Yeah. A, you're not going to see it and B, it's not going to get touched. Um, but we're talking about like main, you know, main yeah. pieces, I guess. I, I'll typically spend as much time with the 120 as I probably do with all the other grits. Yeah. Know? It's kind of like a, uh, like a pyramid for me. Like I spend the most time with the lower grits yeah. and then it's less yeah. and less as it goes up. It's like, when you're doing a chisel, the, you spend the most, when you get a new chisel, you spend the most time at the lower grits because you're flattening everything out. Mm -hmm. Then it takes less time when you go from 400 to 1,000. It takes less time at, at 1,000 to get the 400 marks out. Right. You know, and then when you go up to 5,000, it takes l l even less time to get the 1,000 marks out. Yeah, that's that's generally how I'd, I do it too, you know. Spend most of my time with that 120, uh, making sure that, yeah, as best as I can, I'm wearing glasses and not, and those aren't always working. But I try and tilt it in the light because that makes a big difference. Yeah. Sometimes something looks great, feels great, and then it'll get past every grit. Mm -hmm. And then you put that oil on, you go, how the hell did I miss that? Yeah, yeah a little swirl marks. Yeah, yeah, that's the thing. So, um, I mean, the, the helical heads are great, but every... Cut leaves a mark in yeah. there. And, uh, you know, things straight out of the planer don't take finish very well. No. So there you have it. Yeah. And it, sorry to hear that you had trouble with it. 
Five hundred. I didn't even know. I didn't even know five hundred grit was a thing. No. I seen four hundred and six hundred. Yeah. Maybe that's uh, in metric. Maybe that's a Tennessee thing. Is he using the metric system down there in Tennessee? Oh, I doubt it. You'll get shot in Tennessee <laughs> for doing that. Hey, boy. <laughs> what are you doing with that metric system? Does he have, does he have a European handbag? <laughs> European carry-o? I'm a, a European man purse. Not that there's anything wrong with that. <laughs> well, that brings us to the question of the week. You don't know already the question of the week. We uh, we actually we answer in the Patreon after show, which is uh, appropriately titled the question of the week. Um, this week it comes in from our buddy Eric down Blake Woodworks in uh, New Orleans, Louisiana. And Eric wants to know, I thought the pandemic would reduce people's expectation that every project can be completed in 24 hours. <laughs> I call it the Amazon Prime mentality. I like that. It just seems the opposite. Completely unrealistic expectations, and of course, all this stuff we build is custom. What is your experience? So, if you want to, uh, you want to listen in on the answer, you have to join the Patreon. Eric's a cool dude. Yeah, he's got a great logo, great T-shirt yeah. that he sent up. That's one of my uh, my go-to's. That shirt. Yeah, yeah. It's 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 a looker. We got a little shirt envy when those showed up, didn't yeah. we? <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. Uh, well, that brings us to thoughts on the beer of the week. Yeah. Um, you go first, I guess. I liked it. It, um, you know, it definitely has a hazelnut kind of flavor, but not in like an off-putting way, which you find with a lot of these, you know, beers that, you know, are, uh, labeled as, uh, whatever hazelnut Mm -hmm. or waffle or whatever. Um... It was good. Right. I I agree. Uh, European brown ale, you know, I'm, I'm uh, learning a little bit each time, each week. And I agree. The nuttiness was there. Definitely, you know, as I finish like the last gulp, I could taste that, that nuttiness in mm-hmm. it. Um, I like the, the brown, the darkness of it. I guess, you know, they're... Showing this little star back here, it has like some toffee. Yep. Uh, and I think it definitely descri- has that smell. Yeah, their description's pretty accurate. Yeah. Um, it's not bitter at all, which I you tend to like the more bitter, right? Uh, yeah. I mean, I like them all, but yeah, yeah I I default to sort of a that a juicy kind of bitter. Mm-hmm. I I. Easily drink another one of these again. Oh, yeah. Um, with a pork chop? <laughs> with a vegan pork chop. <laughs> with a tofu chop. Mm. Bread doesn't, pudding. Doesn't that sound good? I love bread pudding. Yeah, I mean, I, I could see, like, making, like, a instead of, like, a brandy sauce, like mm-hmm. a sauce with Oh, this. yeah, yeah. It, that, would, that would be good in a sauce. Yeah, reduce it down. Yeah, it was good. It smells good. Tastes good. Not too uh, crazy on the hazelnut. Yeah. Definitely not like a faux hazelnut. Right. Taste. It didn't taste fake. Yeah. So Rogue, hazelnut brown nectar. Yeah, good stuff. I haven't um, had a Rogue beer in a long time. This is probably available in oh, yeah. most places. Rogue is one of the bigger um, craft breweries. Yeah. 
Uh, so. Dead Guy Ale is like a crazy popular beer that I feel like gets a lot of people into um, craft beer. Rogue Dead Guy. Established 1988, Rogue. Well, older yeah. than me. Yeah. Well, I want to thank uh, our gold tier patrons, Jerry Greenan, David Murphy, Manny Siriani, Dustin Fair, Adam Pothas, David Shoemaker, Colin Lai, and our newest, Keith Drennan. Yeah, Keith going big. Yeah. Gold star. You got to like that. Well, we appreciate you guys tuning in. We'll uh, we'll see you next week for episode forty nine, and hopefully we see you at the uh, the meetup on Saturday. Yeah, don't forget mark down uh, that date on your calendars. Yeah. Well, ciao, adios.